Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Candace Parker is along with us tonight. And moments ago, Kristen Ludlow. Parker, what a look inside. Kristen Ledlow is on our sideline with the terrific Candace Parker. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And this is Ledlow and Parker. We're back, and we've got a really special episode today. But first, we've got to talk about those final installments of The Last Dance. Candace, now that we've seen all 10, was it 10 hours? Yeah, it was 10 hours. It didn't seem like it, though. Do you feel, like, empty inside? I feel that often <laughs> as soon as, well, <laughs> could have just cut it right there. But no, I, I feel it often as soon as I finish a series. Any sorts. Like yes. Like, any, any show. Yes. I feel empty just entrenched with the characters and the story and it feels like such a huge part of your life but especially now when there's so few things going on in our actual lives that that becomes our life so if you were to look on all 10 episodes all 10 hours do you have like this is my favorite part of the whole series honestly I loved the recap of the basketball, I think everybody did, but I could go on YouTube and probably find highlights and remember games, but I loved all the off the court stuff, like seeing the bulls on the bus, seeing MJ gambling. My favorite part of the entire series was the shrug by the security guard. Yes. That was probably my favorite (laughs) part of the entire episode because I think it shows Jordan in another light that he wasn't just competitive with people that stepped on the court. It was security guards. And then it was just, Giving Gus the ball after the final game, it just showed a different side of MJ. And so I think those two moments were probably my favorite. What about you? I think I agree with you there entirely because that's the part we didn't know. Like, we all knew what happened on the floor, regardless of, like, the cliffhangers they would leave us in from week to week. Like, wait, are they going to win it? Or is Scotty going to sign a new contract? <laughs> like, I Which can we Google it. Yeah, we, we know the answers to that, and you can Google it pretty quickly and find out. But that's why I loved it as much as I did, and as well as you, getting to know the, the, the supporting cast and characters. You know, getting to know so much more about Steve Kirk, someone that I've both worked alongside and covered as a coach, and getting to know so much about what makes him a man. And, and so I think that that was most fascinating to me, getting to know these guys so much more so off the court. I mean, and then the opposite end, you know, Dennis Rodman, getting to know him as well. First of all, he's the MVP. He's yeah. the MVP. <laughs> I, I didn't realize all yes. that. When he was running down the hallway from the media, was that not the funniest? I rewound that like six times. Well, but like, can you imagine that now? There have been several times that I've been sitting in a room and it's like, all right, well, now he's 20 minutes late. Well, now he's 40 minutes late. Well, now, okay. And then I'll find out from, you know, a PR staff that walks in and says, oh, well, he actually left the arena an hour ago. Fine. But I'm not running to, to chase him to his car. And we're watching this happen. And I was thinking for as much as we talk about who could play back then, you know, like who now could play back then or, oh, that would have never happened in those days. There were several things that happened then that I'm like, that could never happen in these days. I mean, can you imagine? It's one thing to approach your coaching staff or front office and say, you know what? I I legitimately need a break here. It's another thing to say, I for 48 hours will be in Vegas and not come back for like six or seven days instead. (laughs) And listen, I love Ron Harper as the basketball player, but his quote about Dennis Rodman when he said, he said, you know, he got fined 20 grand for missing practice. He got 250000 to go wrestle in a private jet. I think I would call that a businessman. Kristen, uh, MJ, was there anything going in that you feel differently about now that it's over? I mean, what are your thoughts on, on MJ? I'm glad you asked, and I'm glad you asked it that way because – I've seen so much on social media. The question has become, do you like Michael more or less after watching this documentary? And I don't really think that that's the question. I don't think that that's the right question. I don't think that 
he's concerned with whether or not we like him more or like him less. I think that his primary concern is being respected and remembered. And if those were the concerns, and if that was what this documentary set out to accomplish, it certainly did so. I, you know, I, I grew up watching him, but more so in a way that I remembered moments. I, I remember the Chicago Bulls being as big as they were in the 90s. I, I obviously remember Michael Jordan being the biggest superstar on the planet, right? But having not been old enough to really recognize what was going on and not just the shift in the game of basketball, but the cultural shift that he spurred on, that to me has been the most intriguing part of watching it. So I don't know that there's really an answer to it. Like, do I like him more? Do I like him less? I idolized him as a kid. And I think now I respect what he did and how he did it and that he's probably the only one that could have. I agree with you. And that leads to the point of him being the exception to the rule. And that's the thing that I think I got the most coming out of this is the fact that the reason why he was MJ was the reason why he was MJ, if that makes sense. Like the, the way he behaved, nobody else could, like even now. And so you're gonna have a, a bunch of kids nowadays that are probably gonna watch this documentary and are probably going to kind of, what is it, put the carriage before the horse? They're going to start acting that way when they haven't put in the yeah. work or <laughs> don't have the accolades, don't have the championships to really behave in that manner. And so I'm not justifying one way or another the way that somebody behaves or you're allowed to do this if you've done this. But at the end of the day, like MJ was the exception to the rule. And I think everybody that played in the NBA – there are certain people that were in different documentaries. I mean, you talk about Reggie Miller, you talk about Isaiah, you talk about Charles Barkley, all these players that have played against him, that there are certain things that you don't do to Mike. He is the exception to the rule. And I think that if everybody can understand that, then we'll all be better for it. But I have one more thought as well, because I've seen all these polls that have come out asking fans about whether LBJ is better than Michael Jordan and like fan questions like 73% of people believe that MJ is better than LeBron. And I like looked into it a little bit. And then I looked into who was a better passer and the fans voted that Michael Jordan was a better passer than LeBron James. And this is when I was like, oh, well, this is not going to be taken very seriously. Like, come on. Are you serious? This is a conversation I'm not going to have. Why is it that we have to put greatness on a totem pole? Why does it have to be ranked anyway? So true. <laughs> Why can we not simply appreciate the greatness that was Michael Jordan, the greatness that is LeBron James now, and the greatness that will be fill in the blank, whoever it is that comes next? You're exactly right, but everything is a competition. And, uh, oh, I forgot too. I'd be remiss if I did not mention this. So did you notice the scores of the Bulls games? They were like in the 80s and 90s. Okay. Yes, yes. So all of the, the guys that are in their yeah. mom's basements with no jobs, tweeting about how the WNBA sucks because their scores are in the 80s and 70s and all that stuff can go kick rocks because they literally watch <laughs> this documentary and are in awe of the fact that, you know, this Bulls team, one of the greatest dynasties of all time, like basketball is played different in every generation and every court and every league and all that stuff. So all those people that are like, Oh, you score 75 and 85 points. Their justification in the nineties was they played more defense. Maybe the WNBA's justification is that I'm just saying. I just appreciate that you used the term kick rocks. So we don't have to edit it so that everyone hears your thoughts in full. <laughs> I didn't want it to be edited. That's that was my goal. Well, like I said, we've got a really special episode this week because when we come back, we're going to welcome the other on-air women on our network, Allie LaForce, Stephanie Reddy, and Taylor Rooks. Don't go away. Where we 
we're going to be joined here by Allie LaForce. Hey everybody, it's Allie LaForce. And this is Stephanie Reddy as the NBA's first full-time female NBA analyst. Hey there everybody, glad you're here with us. I'm Stephanie Reddy. Yo, this KD. I'm about to take it there with Taylor Rooks. A special guest in the building. I hear this young lady's name everywhere, by the way. Taylor Rooks. <laughs> so we're trying something entirely new, entirely different because you all have been sitting in your homes as long as Candace and I have, and we realized we hadn't caught up with you in a while. The other on-air women of our network, we've got Allie LaForce, Taylor Rooks, and Stephanie Reddy all joining us. When we even talked about this idea, it was mind-blowing that it was even a possibility. Uh, when I started with our network, years ago, my, my audition, there was not another woman there at all. And then Rachel Nichols came along and the way that she embraced me propelled me forward. And the fact that we now have enough of us to have this big conversation, I think speaks a lot to our network. It speaks a lot to, well, Tara August for making a lot of decisions um, about changing the, the face of sports coverage. And this just feels like a... a a really special thing to me to, to get to have this conversation with you guys. Um, and we've planned out some topics, but feel free to, you know, take it whatever direction you want to take it. Candace, though, is going to, you want to kind of tee up the, the game that you play with, with teams at the start of the season? Yeah, first and foremost, I'm really excited to be on this call, Zoom, whatever you want to call it, roundtable with all of you guys. I mean, we officially have a locker room at... <laughs> At our network, we're, you know, we're in, we've passed by, we don't all work the same days, but it's amazing to see all of you guys have missed you during the quarantine. So for the LA Sparks, we had John Gordon come in and speak with us. He spoke to a number of professional teams from baseball to, to football to NFL. He's an author of the hard hat and the energy bus and training camp. And he talks about how an, on a team, you want to get to know your teammates a little better. And so he always talks about the hero, the highlight and the hardship. So I'm going to start. My heroes are my brothers. I grew up idolizing them, trying to be like them. My highlight was the birth of my baby girl, Layla, who just turned 11. And I can't not believe that she's this big and old. And then the hardship was definitely uh, just the passing of Coach Summit. You know, she was inspirational in my life, influential in my life. She really set the tone just in life, as well as in basketball. She's a fantastic leader and and somebody that I carry with me often. So I definitely would love to start, Allie, I'm gonna put you on the spot first, for your hero, your highlight, and your hardship. I think it's because you have so much respect for my hero that you picked me first, because my, my hero is Pat Summit. You know this, I've told you this, I spent my childhood every summer driving down to the Tennessee women's basketball camps. It was awesome. I have still have the two-on-two -two championship trophy for whatever that's worth in my bedroom, so when I go home, I get a friendly reminder of the camps. You were there one of the years, and I remember you speaking to all of us in the big group, and you spoke a lot about sacrifice. And at the time, you could tell you were, you were exhausted. You were trying, and I appreciate this so much, you were trying to be as real as possible with all the kids. So they didn't think this was some fairy tale that you could just go play for the best program of all time, and it's you know all giggles and all fun and games, but that it, it takes sacrificing your entire soul. And when people you know, ask you know, are you glad you played college basketball? I, I hardly got in the game, but I is the greatest experience of my life because you don't even know where your mind and your body can take you until you are pushed by your teammates, like you said, uh, to the next level. I remember feeling like I was just going to fall over and then the person next to you get, gets up and runs five more suicides and you do too. And you didn't think you could. And if it was you by yourself, you would have quit long before that. So you got my mentality right and um, encouraged me to, to walk on in college. And uh, that was one of my, my greatest memories. Samika Randall ended up being my coach who was a Tennessee Vol too. But that's definitely my hero. Pat Summit posters all over my bedroom wall growing up. Uh, she's just absolutely incredible. The highlight, that's a really great question. Probably personally would be something related to this awful time we're going through in our country because of what it's done for my relationship with my husband. Like, biggest highlight ever getting to spend quality time together. I feel like we were about to bring a child into this world April 6th with the embryo transfer for IVF and it got postponed, but I, I cannot imagine not being this close with him and bringing another human into the world. So just what this time together, uh, both being in the sports world and now getting time together, that's a huge highlight for me. And um, personally, definitely working with a bunch of incredible women at CBS when they started the first ever all-female sports show, We Need to Talk. It was just like 
Leslie Visser, Andrea Kramer, Lisa Leslie, just you name them, Tracy Wolfson, just lots of Hall of Famers, women like you. And so that's why I was just really glad when I came on board at Turner that we had another incredible family of women. So that would be the highlight. Hardship for sure would be Joe's mom is passing away of Huntington's disease and she's in a full-time care facility and you can't go visit her. And just watching what it does to him and watching um, what she's going through and just a huge shout out to everybody that has family members in full-time care facilities right now. It's uh, I know you can't go see them, but anything you can do a call a wave through a window. I know it means a lot to them. And so our hearts are with, with all of you guys right now, but thanks for teeing me up. Hope it didn't go too long. <laughs> you can talk as long as you can say whatever you want and talk as long as you want as well. Okay. There's, no actual, there's no like commercial breaks here or like, I hear the counting <laughs> down like yeah. 10, nine. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to wrap up. Yeah. <laughs> Taylor, how about you? I think for my hero, I have to go Michelle Obama. I am a huge Michelle Obama fan. The book Becoming genuinely changed my life. I think she's my hero for a lot of different reasons, but really just her overall idea that we are all full of infinite possibilities and we don't ever stop growing. If you ever feel like you have stopped evolving, that's only when you have failed. Becoming is not a thing that has an ending point. It's a constant state. And just in her book, she just talks about how women in general were so many different things, even though people always try to box us into just being one. We can be all the things we want to be, and we can be all the things that we don't want to be. So she just in general represents, you know, a great mother, a great friend, a great daughter, a great wife, everything. Um, so I'm a big fan of Michelle Obama. Like one day I'm going to meet her. We're going to speak it into existence because it has to happen. I love, love, love Michelle Obama. And if anybody hasn't read Becoming, you should totally read it. So many gems throughout the whole entire thing. But I think my highlight has been opportunity. Like I think about all of the people that have believed in me and said that, okay, you can do this. Or I'm going to set you up and support you to do this. You know, whether it was being able to work my first job right out of school or come to Bleacher and have a show where I have to interview people and stand in that on my own. So the highlight, I think, is just every single person who has believed and, and given me an opportunity to do anything. And my hardships, probably both of my grandparents passing. I was incredibly close to both of them. They were the only family that my mom really had left. But of course, now she has us. But um, I think about them all the time and everything they instilled in me growing up. Every single day, my grandpa would say I could be anything up in my mind too. So it's it's definitely hard just not having that backbone in your family anymore. But um they still live through all of us, but it was a it was a very very difficult time. So my heart is with anybody who has experienced loss um, of someone that they love and I think there's really nothing like losing somebody who's a parental figure to you. Stephanie, what about you? My hero, that answer has changed as I've gotten older kind of. My typical answer has always been my parents because they have from the very beginning always instilled in me that I can do and be whatever I want. Um, the work ethic that I have now is because of them. My attention to detail is because of them, the way they raised me. And I still hold them right here. Um, but now that I'm married, my hero is my husband. I know that's going to sound so hokey, but I swear he is my rock. And it, it sounds so so much like a cliche, but it is the truth. He supports me when I feel like no one else is. He's my number one cheerleader, my number one fan. He's my field producer. Um, yeah. You know, when I'm, <laughs> right, yeah. when I'm out and, I, and, I've, and when I used to do a lot more NBA sideline games, I would text him so many times if there was a celebrity in the arena and he would instantly give me something on that guy or girl. You know, oh, he's working on a water project in Africa or, oh, she's about to drop a new CD or, you know, whatever it is. He was always like my pop culture producer. So he's been with me every step of the way when I was just trying to break into the business he was there with me when I was still coaching. He has been basically a single dad during every basketball season since we've been together with children because, as you all know, you travel a lot during the NBA season, and I was gone a lot more than I was home. And he's doing karate and baseball and softball and track practice and homework and all of those things basically weeks at a time. Um, I could never do what I'm doing without him. So he is definitely my hero. Perry Jones is amazing. And, and it's to the point where you guys can appreciate this. Even my girlfriends call him St. Perry. Like I can't even talk <laughs> trash to my friends <laughs> about my husband. Because <laughs> they're like, girl, bye. He's a saint. <laughs> so Perry's my hero. Um, as far as my highlight, I'd have to say my two kids, James and Ivy. 
they bring me so much joy. Right now they're driving me crazy because we're not in school. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Your teacher, your driver, your cook, your all of that. So yeah. Uh, Candace, yeah. you know, it is crazy right now with the kids. And that's why I didn't like even introduce you guys as anything like, okay, here's the women who are on air on our network. Cause like you're athletes and coaches and mentors and wives and mothers. And it, it's just, and now teachers, <laughs> it, it, it's just too difficult to encapsulate in a resume that can be read in 11 seconds. That's so good, Kristen. And Taylor hit it too. She said, you can be all the things you want to be and all the things you don't want to be. So, <laughs> Well, now we know you don't want to be a teacher. <laughs> so James and I have been great though. They provide a lot of laughter, a lot of joy, and it's the hardest job I've ever had, but it's also the most rewarding job I've ever had. So I appreciate them greatly. My hardship was the passing of my mother, clearly. That's, um, I've lost people before, even people that I've been fairly close with. But I mean, your mom, at least for me, she was my best friend. We were very close. Um, I confided in her things that I didn't confide in anyone else. And when I lost her, it felt like the whole world changed. And it still is affecting me, as you can see. I apologize. But um, it's just hard because there are times still to this day, she passed away a few years ago. So it's been a while. If something happens to me, my first instinct is to pick the phone up and call my mother still. So I am so grateful that I had that relationship with her, but definitely I miss her. Sorry, I just went through water on this whole thing. You, see, now I feel like a few weeks ago, Candace and I were talking to Sue Bird and we had all decided to, to tell a story about meeting someone that just blew us away. And Sue has this incredible story about meeting President Obama and I immediately followed it with Justin Timberlake. And I was like, are you... <laughs> And that's what I feel like I'm about to do here is like, to, you know, like take this incredibly precious moment that you just took us to and like, well, my hero's Doris Burke, you know? <laughs> Personally, what you guys have all mentioned as well, um, I mean, it's, it's the same for me. My family in every way has inspired me. And because my parents met playing the game of basketball, they encouraged me as a six foot tall, 12 year old to really give it a go. Um, and that changed the course of my life. Uh, my husband in the same way, as you mentioned, I mean, every single role that a person can take on as someone's supporter, he has taken that on. Professionally, it has been Doris Burke because I always admire, well before I met her, I always admired um, her, her versatility. Like you see her in so many different roles and she seems to have mastered them all and yet still approaches her role from this place of humility, which was so shocking to me. Again, when I met her for the first time that you know she would even acknowledge my existence, much less want to come alongside me and believe me forward and invest in my life and career in the ways in which she has. A highlight, let's see, professionally, I think it was the first season that I was on our network's game coverage from start to finish, like through the playoffs and through the finals, uh, was the season that LeBron and the Cavs came back from down 3-1 to beat that 73-9 and Warriors team. And I had never been so entrenched in every detail of an NBA season before, and for it to be that one, like there are details that are burned so vividly in my mind of every single part of that season that if you ask me what I did last Tuesday, cannot tell you. But uh, like that season, I could, I could tell you every single part of it. And that to me was, was, was a highlight. Um, and, and personally, it was when I called, uh, since I've already mentioned uh, Tara, I called her when my husband and I had gotten engaged. So we got engaged in the off season, as you all know, but maybe the people listening to this don't know. Uh, and so I'm thinking, all right, so we can either, either be engaged for a year or well, how's this really going to work? So I'm thinking we may want to get married like during the basketball season. And I know that that's not ideal. And I know that. And she on the phone says, well, all we do is talk about basketball on TV. So you should go get married. <laughs> and it, it so helped shift my perspective. Like, oh, a categorically huger thing <laughs> that, you know, that I'm doing here in comparison to where my priority has always been. And, and so that was a highlight for me. Um, and then a hardship. Well, at least several of you uh, 
know what this season of, of life has looked like for me. And um, went through a, a sudden and devastating loss in my immediate family right before Christmas. And right as it seemed like the things would start to feel normal in some sense again, was the weekend that Kobe and his daughter passed. And so to back to back, feel the weight of sudden loss, and then realize that the expectation for what I look like and sound like on TV had remained the same, regardless of that loss, was far too difficult for me to and so the months that followed, these months that followed, um, were among the most difficult that I've ever faced. And I've come to know the, the value of community and intentionality far before these days in quarantine began. Like when, when whatever it was you were standing on is sifted to the point, like sifted to the point that you actually have to test where your foundation is um, you recognize what it is that's held you up. And so again, for the several of you who have walked alongside me all season long or filled in last minute when you didn't think you were going to have to for me, um, I'm incredibly grateful, eternally grateful. And I, I think that it's, it's set up what these days in quarantine have looked like for me as well, to know what intentionality looks like, to know what community looks like, to know... Um, what it is to, to love and be loved. And I, I feel grateful for all of you for that as well. Well, Kristen, to me, when I first came to Turner, I remember as soon as I signed, I got texts from pretty much everybody. <laughs> but that's been like everybody at Turner, everybody that's on this call. And so I think the biggest thing that I've taken away from is teamwork and being a part of a team is super special and having each other's back off the court. I mean, there's so many things that we talk about outside of just the office. There's so many car rides that Steph and I've had a uh, couple of drinks that Taylor, <laughs> that Taylor and I've had a couple, you know, Allie uh, sharing sushi and Kristen, I mean, there's countless. So it's like, that's what I'm taking away. And with sports, Although it, the whole point of it is to do your job and competition, you walk away with so much greater than that. And so being a part of this community has been so special for me, even coming from team sports and being, you know, being a part of it, that this team is like something that I see why Turner has been as successful as it is because they're surrounded by so many great people and, and that's what's important. Yeah, Kristen, don't ever feel like you have to thank us. It's just assumed that's what a team is all about. Uh, we're here for you. We have to lift each other up. And I think that's one of the most false narratives about women in sports is that we're all competing to be, I mean, can someone please stop writing the article that has the list of hottest broadcasters uh. of, of all time? It's so ridiculous. And yes. it's so old. Just retire the notion. Although like 10 or 15 years from now to be like, oh man, I wish I was still on those lists a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, showing your like, grandkids. Remember you know when I made the top 13 that one year? Sorry. <laughs> do you remember those lists? Because I do. <laughs> so we have another conversation starter here. We want to go with a most memorable interview or on-camera moment of your career thus far. It doesn't have to be perhaps what was the biggest or, or most viewed or the best. It can be embarrassing. <laughs> or the best. All yeah. It. it can be just something that stands out to you as, wow, that was really memorable. I don't think I'm going to forget that one. The most recent was when I worked playoffs last season and Damian Lillard hit that bye-bye shot. And I was right there like this, like everybody else in the arena and the country. Uh, that was very memorable, talking to him immediately following that madness. Um, I think one of my most favorite ones was uh, the game I did when I was still working with the Charlotte Hornets and Kemba Walker became the franchise's all-time leading scorer. And I talked to him right when the game was over and he actually cried. <sighs> and so, because, you know, you develop a relationship with these guys and he felt so comfortable 
we were just having a conversation. Yes, there happened to be a microphone and a camera there, but he was vulnerable and let his emotions show. And I, I felt so honored to be a part of that moment, even in the smallest way. And I also felt so honored that he felt comfortable enough to just let his true emotions show. So I think those are my two. The one that sticks out to me was season one of my show when I interviewed DeMar DeRozan because it ended up being that perfect storm of, okay, interviewing an athlete people care about, but also at a time that people cared about, mm-hmm. about something people cared about because the Raptors were going to the finals, which meant DeMar wasn't, which meant Kawhi took them there. And so everybody was discussing how did DeMar feel watching the Raptors succeed? And so when we sat down, you know, through, I I read a book once that essentially said, like, you should always start with what you're trying to say and then work back from there. And so I wanted to ask Damar, like, okay, how come the Raptors were able to get there with Kawhi, but not with you? So I just asked it that way, because I feel like the more you fluff up your question, the more they can fluff up their answer. And so when I asked him that, he just said, you know what? I've never said this to anybody, but they're only there because of me. I was the sacrificial lamb for the Raptors. And then when I went to one of the finals games, there was people holding up like DeMar was a sacrificial lamb signs, which was really cool. Yeah, because I was like the interview kind of like transcended the screen for a minute and like came to the arena, which was a really nice moment. And it felt cool that DeMar like trusted me to give that story. So I, I still think that was probably the best interview that I had done on the show. And then my second most memorable, I'd say, was in 2011, I was like a sophomore in college, but I really wanted to be a broadcaster. And I was hounding the NBA to like credential me for different events. Like, so I sent 20,000 emails say, can you credential me to All-Star? So me and my friend who both were in media drove from Illinois to Orlando to like interview all these people. It was the longest drive ever, but it was cool. Cause it was, yeah, 2011, there were so many good All-Stars. Kobe was there. And this was my first media scrum. Like I was really trying to fake it until I made it because I didn't know anything about media scrums. So I'm in there and I like ask Kobe a couple questions and then I go, can we take a picture? It's <laughs> 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 like not what you do in a media scrum. <laughs> but Security. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you do not. <laughs> so everyone's looking at me like crazy. Kobe took the picture. Um, that was the one time I met Kobe. So I was, that is something I cherish. I will cherish forever, but it's just memorable because not only did I meet Kobe, I also embarrassed myself in front of Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the two that stick out for me. There's like the funniest or the most embarrassing or the most ridiculous, but the one that stands out to me is um, I had been hired by CBS Sports Network to do a show out in California that was nightly. And um, I remember Tracy Wolfson was moving from the SEC to NFL. So they had to fill the SEC role, but they, they knew I had covered football in the past. And I, I don't know, if they, I don't think they knew if they wanted to use me as like the number two or number three NFL, or if they wanted to put me on SEC. So they kind of just gave me a bunch of random college games. Um, and then they gave me a couple NFL preseason games. And what's cool about the preseason is the starters only go for one quarter and then you get to interview them which is awesome. And you get a long time to interview them because they're not playing the rest of the game. And so I remember Peyton Manning was sitting on the sideline and the producer tells me, go, go ask Peyton Manning if he'll do an interview. And I'm like, just go ask him. They're like, yep, just go ask him. I'm like, holy crap. So I walk up to him and I'm like, Peyton, will you do an interview? He's like, he like looks at me like this and you're just standing there waiting. I mean, I have no relationship with him previous to this. And he's like, uh, sure, sure. Can you make it quick? I'm like, yeah, of course. That's, isn't that what Later to find out that's what every athlete says every time, no matter what. But so I ask him one question and he immediately says, that's a great question, Allie, and goes into the answer. And I just, I remember being so taken back that he said my name on TV, like that he was, and and I had a lot of respect for him for that because he's so intelligent. He pays attention and he's super respectful, which was awesome. But he goes on and on. And then I ask another question. He goes on and on. And then I ask another question. He keeps going. My producer goes, keep going. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, ask another one. So then we ask him to call play for us while the game's going on. So he does. And then he goes, my producer goes one more. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm on question five now. This guy told me to make it quick. And so 
I remember thinking in my head, this is either going to be awesome and it's going to blow up or this is going to completely blow up in your face. And so I asked him if he would answer my next question in the Peyton Manning State Farm commercial voice. (laughs) (laughs) It felt, it was probably only a three second pause in my, it felt like three minutes and I'm just sitting there like, please do the voice or this is going to be terrible. (laughs) And he was like, sure, Allie, this is the, you know, nationwide Peyton talk, and I don't even know how to do it, but he did it the full answer in the commercial voice, like a champ, and he could have left me hanging. Awesome. After that, I was thanking God that night, like, thank you for not <laughs> letting me fall on my face on national television. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I am a vet in the WNBA. I'm old, old, old. I'm realizing that when some, of my, teammate, when some of my teammates are in like the late 90s being born, and then you look yourself in the mirror and you're like, it's almost time for me to transition. At the Olympics in 2012, Craig Sager interviewed me. And I remember he came up and asked me if he could get an interview. And Tina Thompson sitting next to me, and I didn't play very well the game before. And so I'm thinking, I hesitate. And Tina's looking at me like, you're hesitating with Craig Sager? Like, you better, <laughs> you better take this interview. And I'm like, well, I didn't really play well. Like, maybe you should interview my teammates or something like that. She's like, you better go interview. And so... Afterwards, I went up to him and told him why I had hesitated. He was like, oh, it's fine. Like, you know, he was all chill and relaxed. And so that was one of those interviews where when he interviewed me, I was like more, I couldn't even focus on the questions he was asking because I was just so taken aback by who he was and how he carried himself. And just like, I'd seen so much about him on television. And then when I first got to Turner, I remember I covered uh, Inside the NBA. It was during the NCAA tournament and I filled in for Kenny and Ernie Johnson started the show and my heart beat so fast. Like it was one of those, those moments where you're, you have to almost pinch yourself because I've watched Ernie Johnson for so long. He's one of the best that there ever has been and is. And I was sitting on a set of a show that I fell in love with. And so that was kind of one of those moments where I was like, okay, this is really awesome. I was so nervous. <laughs> I was so nervous. It's funny because I actually remember all of the interviews that each of you have brought up, and you're definitely not going to remember the one that I'm bringing up now. It was, for me, my most memorable, and I think like just the most vivid in terms of the atmosphere and remembering every part of it. It was the tail end of my first season co-hosting Inside Stuff with Grant. And I had been hired for just the one season as an independent contractor. Like, we're going to try this show this one time. And we hadn't been told yet whether or not the show was coming back, whether or not I was coming back. And so I went into the entirety of it thinking, like, if these 35 shows are the, like, if this is the highlight and the peak of my career, I'm going to have a good time from start to finish. Like it's already beyond wild to me that Grant Hill even knows I exist, much less is forced to come work with me every single week. So like, you know, I'm going to have a good time. And it was during the NBA finals that season, which was uh, between the Miami Heat and the San Antonio Spurs. And I was in San Antonio and we were filming an episode and they got George, the Iceman Gervin to do an inside stuff segment with me. And so we went down to the river walk and we went in one of those boats around the entirety of the river walk. And if you guys have been to San Antonio during any one of their big playoff runs, you know, the way that those Spurs fans respond to anyone (laughs) who has ever had anything to do with the Spurs. And so we made the entire loop around the river walk. And by the time we were getting back to where we were, when we started, there was a crew of maybe a dozen people out there and they were all with us. You know, they were there as part of the interview. And by the time we got back, there were I am not exaggerating hundreds of people up on the shore of the Riverwalk all yelling, go Spurs, go, go Spurs, go. And they were so excited. They had seen that he had gotten into that boat and knew that he was eventually going to make his way back around. And I just remember getting out of the boat and just (laughs) recognizing in that moment, like I'm right here in the middle of just the height of basketball fandom. And what an incredible thing that if I'm not asked back to do this show again, if I'm not asked back to be part of our network's coverage again, this one thing, like this will be my lasting memory of it. And still years later, it is my lasting memory. We have a rapid fire segment. 
and all five of us are going to answer. So just one at a time, quick fire answers. All right, number one, one item you must always have in your fridge at all times. Candace? Why do I have to go first? I don't know. I was thinking you were going to put <laughs> Because I called oh, on you. Oh, goodness. Um, all right, fine. Uh, I'll milk. start then. Okay. Milk. Milk. All right. Milk. So, so your basic dairy. Got it. All right, Taylor? <laughs> I'd say wine. Chilled wine. Good one. Ooh. That's why that's I love a, you, Taylor. That's a much better <laughs> answer. Yeah. I was going to go with orange juice, but I might change mine. Yeah. <laughs> Stephanie? I was actually going to say chilled champagne and sparkling cider. Because in our family, if we're going to celebrate, the kids have to partake as well. So we always have a bottle of each ready to go. <laughs> Allie? I'm debating between eggs and ketchup. Does that make me flame? <laughs> All right. Number two, an item you had as a kid that you still have today. While you all think, I'll start it for Candace's sake. I still have my very first pair of technically basketball shoes, which I believe they were called Weebox back then. <laughs> All right, Stephanie, let's start with you this time. Oh, you know what I have? I have two children's books from when I was a kid that I have passed on to my kids. One of them is like my first dictionary. It's like encyclopedia size and it has pictures, you know, so before you learned how to read, they both have graduated past it. They keep trying to get rid of it and donate it. And I'm like, no, this is going to be a third generation dictionary. You're, you're passing this thing on to your kids. <laughs> All right, Allie. The first ever sports trophy, like a, re like a recreation league championship trophy. Totally have the wall in the room with 15 of them. My sister has like 40, <laughs> so mine looks small compared to hers. But you're supposed to want that yeah. for a little so sister, so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was trying to find a photo of this. Since I've been a baby, I was born in 92, I have had this like teddy bear photo of the dream team. You said 92, and I was like, ah, oh, I remember what I was doing in 92. <laughs> but I've, I've had this. I don't know if you guys can see it, but it's the dream team as teddy bears. Aw, cute. And so that's in my apartment in New York, and I've had, like, it's followed me to every place I've lived since I was a baby. <laughs> I have a bear that I got when I was three, and I gave it to my daughter, and my mom used to make it flip before I'd go to bed, so his name was Flippin' Bear. And now, like, I do that with Layla. Like, I make the bear flip, and she laughs. And so, yeah. So, flipping bear. Aww. Number three is the biggest shock or surprise of who follows you on Twitter or IG. Taylor, I'm going to start with you. I will say this. This is embarrassing. But I used to have the biggest crush on Michael B. I don't now. But I remember when he followed me on Instagram, I was like, wow, like, we're getting married. Uh, it was like, because it was like a while ago. So, I'm... Yeah, I know. So maybe I'll say, maybe I'll, it, it's like my answer is that was my biggest shock. It's not like anymore, but that was my biggest shock. Well, okay. I feel like the most important question that can be asked here or asked ever, why do you no longer have a crush on Michael B. Jordan? <laughs> well, you know, you know, like once you meet people, like he's, he's not Creed anymore, you know? <laughs> oh, but I also think another cool one on Twitter, Jackie Joyner Kersey follows me. Which, Ooh, which is really, really cool. cool. But uh, yeah, I'd say schoolgirl me, Michael B. Oof. Um, this is hard. And as you girls know, I'm not on social media as much as most. <laughs> so I would say that the person who shocked me the most when I saw it happening uh, was Tay Diggs. And then it was less <laughs> shocking when I realized he follows like everybody. So I was like, aw. Yeah. And he kind of ruined it. You know, I was like, oh, I was like, babe, look. Aw. So that was that. But, oh, but Soledad O'Brien. Soledad O'Brien. I was surprised. Allie, do you have one now? Yes, I'm going to go with my grandma on Instagram. Oh, oh that's nice. Yes. That was shocking. I'm not going to lie. And then I remember her profile picture is this, like, adorable portrait of her from a year ago in her living room, kind of posing like, like a high school prom picture, like, with her hands up like this. And then that same day she created her profile, she emailed and texted that same photo to every single grandkid. And there's like 20 something of us. So she was very, it was very sweet. <laughs> Candace, do either Michael B. Jordan or Allie's grandmother follow you? That is, no, that is difficult. Um, I would say when I first got drafted out to the Sparks in being in LA, I was obsessed with Boris Kojo. 
That's a good, good one. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and so I remember like when we, when Instagram first started, I mean, you know, people started signing on to Instagram and having accounts, like he followed me and that was really cool. So, but now he's a friend. So, hey, Nicole, <laughs> love you, but. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. I want to know from you, Candace, who you thought my answer was going to be. I mean, I would say it was probably Justin Timberlake. Okay. He's first of all, you know what? what? Follows you. He all right. follows you? No. Yeah, he does. That impressive. Wow. Right of That's a impressive. <laughs> because for you, for your person you love the most to follow you is he. I don't know if he does, but I'm going to just say that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm devastated to correct you on this. Justin Timberlake does not follow me. Are you sure? He, he should. Does he does now. There's a pressure. Actually, it was just a couple of months ago, Candace, when you and I were planning our live Ledlow and Parker. So Candace and I are talking on the phone and we're like, who is it that in Chicago, like who is the ultimate Chicago guest? You can't get Michael Jordan. So we were like, both at the same time, Chance the Rapper. I'm like, it has to be him. It's him or it's nobody. And so I told Candace, I'm like, we're going to figure out how to make this happen. You know, I'm going to just try and slide into his DMs and see if, and I'm like, I don't know if he'll read these, you know, or not. And so I'm, I'm literally on the phone with Candace and go to Chance's Instagram page and I don't even follow him. And he already follows me. And I was like, what's going on here? And I click on the people he's following and it's like me and Candace and Kenny and Shaq. And, and I'm like, oh, he's like, he like watches us so you know <laughs> i just send him a message that like is probably nine paragraphs long i'm like just put all the details in in case he just reads this one you know like here's what we're doing here's where it's going to be candace and i agreed you're the it has to be you he sends back one sentence just yeah i'll be there and then he showed up like the next day oh. and we were like oh my God. so that to me was awesome. like the most shocking and a positive lesson in sliding into the dms <laughs> i love that sometimes it pays off yeah <laughs> All right. What is your biggest goal still left on your list to accomplish? I will start with That's a Stephanie. really tough one. Um, I'll start it by saying that I'm thrilled professionally doing what I'm doing. Um, you guys kind of talked about it earlier when we were all talking about, you know, what we're with, with work and how we're so happy. Um, Candace, about the locker room. When I first walked into the locker room at Turner and saw all these ladies' names, I almost cried because I spent the first part of my career coaching men and literally had to use the public restroom in the arenas just to change into my clothes before the game. So that was huge. Um, I, I don't really know how to answer. Um, yeah. You know what? I also feel like your answer right now is an important one because we ask so often like, what else is there for you? What else do you mm. want to accomplish? What's next? Instead of like in any way, just leaning into what's now and saying, you know what? Like I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm doing exactly right now what I dreamed of always. And honestly, that would be my answer professionally. I think right now what's left in my mind as to what I want to accomplish, if that's the right word, is all outside of this. You know, yeah. it, it's all continuing to, to, to grow into to other roles outside of, of broadcaster because for so many years, that was my sole focus, my sole priority. And then you all have watched as it's kind of grown into, oh, wait, now this has to be the priority. And yet this also still has to fit in, and, you know? So I think it's entirely okay for us to just say, you know what? I, I love what I'm doing right now. It's entirely what I dreamed of always. I remember just kind of reading this article and I was like, you know what? I really identify this. It was talking about destination addiction, which is always thinking that happiness lies in whatever is going to be next. Like, even if you're happy right now, you're going to be happier once you reach the next point. And something that I'm very proud of myself for doing is being okay with the present and knowing that you're really never going to be fully happy until you can be fully happy with what's happening right in front of you. Um, but I would think most people probably struggle with that more than they'd like to admit. Cause I certainly know that I did. And I think there's a lot of joy and peace that comes from just being okay with right now and knowing that you'll be okay with whatever's next, but that won't come until you're content. If quarantine doesn't teach you that, I don't know what's going to. <laughs> that all of what we thought was the most certain has proven to be entirely uncertain. Totally. Yeah, for sure. No, it's so true. It's so true. But I, I want to add that we're so 
I won't say fortunate or lucky or anything like that, but to have the group that we have that pushes us and, and great teammates, but also I challenge all of us to continue to push it forward and to open up more doors for more people that look like ourselves to be represented on television because it's so important. I remember when I was 11 years old and the WBA started and I saw somebody that looked like me playing sports and to be able to aspire to be like that. And so I hope, and I challenge all of us to continue to push that needle forward so that we have to have six or seven shows to talk to all the ladies at Turner at some point, because mm-hmm. it's so important nice. for us to, to continue to inspire the next generation of guys and girls to show that like we deserve to be at the seat at the table in sports and have conversation because our opinion is just as valuable as, as the next teammate. For sure. And I feel like this, like this responsibility that we all have, because one thing about representation is yes, it's important for representation for the person that looks like you. Right. But it's equally as important for the person who doesn't identify with you to see you as the representation of that. And so when we're going out, it's also to show men like, Hey, listen, I'm just as good, if not better. And I can do this too, because if you can't see that and you're only seeing the thing that you directly identify with, you'll think that's all that exists. So I feel so thankful to be in this room with you guys and be able to talk to you guys and be on a team with you guys, because we do all genuinely support one another and we want the person to do well. And we're rooting and like a win for one of us is a win for all of us. And I just enjoy that mindset. And I don't know if we like really stop enough and think about how monumental and nice and just like fortunate we all are to be able to be in this position and also help others try to get there too. We so often, I think, we don't forget to thank the very few women that went before us, but like forget, hey, there are a whole bunch that are coming behind us. And we right now are representative of what they're going to face when they step into this role as well. And so I think an added element to what you're saying, not only for those who are watching and she looks like me, or perhaps she doesn't look anything like me, but for those who are chosen among the few to do it well, to do it excellently, and to do it with grace so that those doors continue to be open for every one of you. Now there's going to be a couple more that come up behind you. And I love that that was your answer. I love that that was everyone's answer to to this question that could very easily have been, well, here's my next dream job, but instead. (laughs) By the way, we are way too deep for rapid fire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And we all like to talk too much for rapid fire. (laughs) That was a slow burn and we are going to (laughs) dub it as such. So before we let y'all go, we have been doing a segment called What's Good. What's good? What's good? (laughs) What's good? Where we just talk about something that made us laugh or something that made us smile at some point during the week that was and hope that it makes others laugh or smile as well. So I'll let Candice kick it off. That way she can kind of show you the way it's done. And then we'll go from there. My what's good of this week was getting on the internet and reading that Maya Moore is going to be receiving the Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Award. Being in the prime of her career to kind of take a step away from basketball and to pursue social justice and actually um, get a conviction overturned. Obviously, they're still going through the appeal process, but to have a bigger purpose other than a sport. And it it just shows that basketball players are, I mean, athletes, people are more than just what their careers are. And so it's been uh, just to be able to say that I've played against her and battled against her. And now she's doing something far greater than, you know, putting a basketball in a hoop. It was uh, very special uh, to see that this week. I love that you brought that up because you obviously know, Candice, that Maya is one of my closest friends and... I know that it's appeared easy on the outside for her to step away from basketball, but it only has appeared so because she's done it with such conviction. It was not an easy decision to step away from the game that she has loved and has worked her entire life to master. And yet because she was and has been and continues to be so convicted, the decision has appeared easy. And so I love that you brought that up. Um, One thing that made me laugh, smile, cry uh, this week that I came across online Um, It's a YouTube channel, and it is a grown man 
whose own father left his home when he was 12. And so he's created a YouTube channel called Dad, How Do I? And it's to help any kids right now who are at home growing up without dads and teaching them these basic tasks that you would usually ask for help from your dad on. And I was looking through uh, because a tweet brought it to mind, um, just some of the videos that he did, like how to fix a running toilet and how to unclog a bathtub drain and just every single one of the, he's smiling and he's laughing and he's teaching these young men how to shave your face, how to tie a tie. And I just, that, that brought me to tears this week. That's sweet. Mine's way less serious. The Michael Jordan documentary. I mean, it is like the biggest shot, the most powerful shot of caffeine straight into my blood. Yeah. <laughs> Up to it, the, the anxiousness in between commercial breaks, the debates I get in with my husband. We, we, we go to war over Michael Jordan opinions. And then you add some, you know, cocktails or two into the mix and it gets real feisty. So it's, it's funny. It's sad. It's exciting. It's, you learn new things like the pizza story and just, I can't get enough of it. I, I hope that the younger generation sees this, that every young athlete watches and understands what true dedication and commitment and um, what it means to be a great teammate and push your teammates and your your friends and your coworkers to the ultimate level and what it takes to be the greatest at what you do. It, it, he took it to a whole nother level and I hope he inspires a whole nother generation to do the same. I will say this. The only critique I will have of The Last Dance was the fact that they didn't give you enough time to answer the trivia questions. Like It was like they answered <laughs> They asked the question and then they answered it before you even had time yeah. to even go into your like your bank of knowledge. Yeah, it really bothers her. It really does. Like I needed yeah. them to adjust that. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> I did love, by the way, uh, I think my favorite part of these last couple of episodes is watching Michael walk out of the locker room and watching Leona DiCaprio like yes. right after Titanic step up. And he's like, what you did out there was poetic. And I'm like, no, Leo, what you have done in 1997 <laughs> is poetic. <laughs> It was just like Jack, that moment. It's Jack. like this right here. This is 1997. This. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I loved the story of Gus Lett. Like that for me, it was just, yeah. it was so heartwarming. It was so pure. To me, it was probably the most pure thing that we kind of saw throughout the whole documentary. And it was just, A, you're only as good as people around you, right? But then also to take care of those who take care of you. I just think it was amazing. They were able to create such this special family bond through work. So learning about Gus Lett was was definitely a heartwarming moment for me. And then on a personal note, I like I said, I got to come to Georgia yesterday um, and I turned 28 on Friday. So I'm looking forward to my birthday. Is that another, is that another dig at Candace, by the way? Okay. We got to yeah. edit out another thing. In the <laughs> She's going to have that cut right out. Oh, you're funny. Yeah, but the reason for me it's heartwarming is I'm getting to spend my birthday with my family for the first time in like eight years, like the actual day. Cause you know, we work so much and we're never like home. I haven't lived in Georgia since I went to school. So it's just, it's going to be nice to be with those closest to me when I celebrate a day that my mom never forgets to remind me is also her day. Cause she pushed me out. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that my mom. Yes. She brings that up every single one of my birthdays. She's like, where's my cake? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did the heavy lifting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We know. She's like, you did nothing on this day. Yeah. <laughs> Stephanie, what about you? It actually just happened this morning. So talking about homeschooling with the kids, they do these virtual check-ins with their teachers and classmates and they, it's really not school, that portion, that's really just so they can kind of interact with each other. And so he has on this headset, I didn't hear what the teacher asked, but I guess it was, you know, have you done something fun or good since the quarantine started? Because all I hear is him tell this, these stories about all the things that we've done as a family, like we went and took um, my dad and Perry's parents' food, you know, for Mother's Day, we did that. And um, for Easter, my sister lives alone. And so we organized an Easter egg hunt at her house, but surprised her. So like James ran up and put tape over her ring doorbell so she couldn't see. And we like mission impossible in the backyard and hit all the eggs and then called her and tricked her and she didn't know we were there. You know, so it was just so much fun for me to hear him relaying that it was also fun for him because sometimes you feel like you're like forcing them and dragging them and pulling them to participate, to create these memories 
that you're like, are they even having fun, you know? But so for me, that was just like, oh, this is so good because he just ran down this list of things. And so that was this morning and it, it just made me feel really good. This is also a what's good moment, this whole podcast for sure. Yes, I, I feel the same way. And I love hearing those stories from you guys because I think it can be really easy, especially in these days that feel, how many times have we heard the word uncertain in the uncertainty of these days? Mm. And well, these days are, are uncertain, but it can be easy in these days to feel like you're only hearing what's bad and, and what's negative and what is anxiety inducing. And yet here we are, I think just continually bringing to mind the great good that can come from these days instead. Cheers to the ladies of sports. Yeah. Cheers. You guys, this has been just the coolest conversation. My favorite part of this season thus far has been getting to hang out with Candace every single week, week in, week out, that she and I talk all week long about what it is that we want to talk about and who it is that we want to talk to. And this was far and away one of my favorite ideas that had been come up with was to get the chance just to talk to all of you. And I so appreciate you all taking the time to do it. Oh, of course. Thank you for Thank you. Us. Thank you. Thank you, guys.